So let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer, and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this time. As we teach this morning, Father, I just pray that you'll bring to light who we are in you, and Father, uh, what judgment really is and who judgment belongs to. Uh, Father, we love you and we bless you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, today, the title is called Self-Judgment is Suicidal. Self-Judgment is Suicidal. Now, those are scary terms, scary words to, to teach Scripture and talk about suicide. Uh, seems a little bit dangerous to me, but it's, you're going to see that as we unpack pack this, probably all of us are our own worst critics, and we tend to self-condemn, self-judge, self-criticize all of those things have been a part of our lives so uh, how do we get out of that we'll talk about that first week we talked about what is judgment judgment belongs to god the second week we talked about the fixer fixing you is killing me the third week we talked about don't take the bait remember scandalon is the greek there and that is uh an offense if you're offended be careful because if you take up that bait of offense you stand at risk in a lot of ways as a matter of fact something other than you has power over your life. Week four, we talked about don't just observe um, or don't don't judge, just observe, I'm sorry. And, and we talked about observing one another's fruit. That with churches even, look at track records with churches. If you look at a church and they have great fruit, they're doing something right, um, normally, unless it's a cult. But, uh, you know, that's, that's another issue we can tackle on another day. But, um, you know, you can look at the fruit you can, uh, it's the same thing with us as, as we walk with friends, as we walk with brothers and sisters in Christ, we can look at their fruit. Um, I talked to the young men and said, hey guys, if you're not married, pay attention to uh, not just the woman herself, but of course the fruit. Is she fruitful for the kingdom of God? And uh, does she have a love for God? So in that, fruit is definitely a track record. So today, self-judgment, self-judgment, talking about self-condemnation, talking about guilt, talking about shame. Because all of us have probably been there at some point in time in our life if you're not there now. And we'll uh, start to unpack that. So, years ago I shared some statistics about suicide. One quarter actually, one quarter of men actually consider suicide at one point in their life. One fourth of men. One in 64 actually attempt it at some point in time in their life. And men are far more successful at committing suicide than women, by the way, if you didn't know that. And so those are kind of some scary statistics. You know, Judas, after betraying Jesus, he went out and he did what? He hung himself. He hung himself. That's right. He committed suicide. And so remember, men, Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Not that we would go off and hang ourselves. We tend to judge ourselves based upon our performance or lack of our performance. And when we do, we are susceptible to self-judgment and self-judgment becomes suicidal in our life. Now, if you have your Bibles, this is where it's going to, I don't know if you've ever interpreted this scripture this way, but open up to Acts chapter 5 and we're going to read there verses 1 through 11. This is Ananias and Sapphira. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of the land and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, there's basically three thoughts here of what happens. Uh, our God is a God of mercy. He's a God of hope. He's a God of character. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of life. That's our God. But here, our God looks very different with Ananias and Sapphira. And one of the reasons I chose this scripture is, is because it's New Testament. All right. Old Testament, you see the judgment of God being poured out. You see the wrath of God. And I believe there is definitely a reason for that because our God is holy. He is just. And, and the just in Christ shall live. So it, it points us, the Old Testament points us as a tutor that our God is, is really a good God. He's a great God. He's a holy God. He's a God of expectations. But in the New Testament, we do see mercy and grace through the redemptive blood of the Lamb. However, here in Acts chapter 5, something happened. These two people lied. These two people, uh, which we have never done, men, right? I mean, these two people had, had, had lied to the Holy. They grieved the Holy Spirit, if you will. Peter called them out on it, and they just fall down dead. So there's basically three possibilities what happened here. Now, this is where it's going to get a little bit. I'm going to hopefully reveal something you've never thought about this morning. Number one. That God smote them because they lied to the Holy Spirit. But as I said earlier, you've never done that. You ever lied to the Holy Spirit? You're scared to say it. I mean, you're just out there, I don't want to fall dead, right? Come on, men. I mean, there, there have been times that we said, God, I'll never do that, what? Again. And then what happens? You did it again. And then, and, but your breath is still in you. What is going on with these two, right? Now, now we've done it. That would be a lie, and yet you are still here. The second scenario, Satan smote them because he entered their hearts. And so Satan does come to steal, kill, and destroy, according to the Scriptures. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Notice that Peter said, Ananias, this is verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So here, obviously, they made room for Satan to fill their heart. He prowls around like a roaring lion. However, we are told to guard what? To guard our hearts because it's what? The wellspring of life, right? Proverbs. So guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. If you don't guard your heart, Satan is looking for an opportunity to enter your heart. Now, the, the difference here is that Satan, when he enters the heart, Satan or Jesus, you know, when you were growing up, you used to sing songs about Jesus and Jesus in your heart and, 
And we used to say the prayer a lot to Lord Jesus, I want you to enter my heart. Children believe that that Jesus as a man, right, walks into their heart. He lives, he dwells there, which, by the way, is really great theology. It really is. And, and so why is there room for Satan in the heart? Well, here, through deceit and other things that they had planned as far as keeping some of the proceeds for, them, for themselves, and of course, I believe God's making a statement here early on that, that he is still God. However, the ministry of Satan, if he enters the heart, is one of accusation. And this is what came in their heart. Now, when I say the ministry of Satan is accusation, so you have an advocate, and then you have one who is the accuser. An advocate says, hey, I'm for your heart. I'm for everything about you. I died on the cross for you. I was raised on the third day for you, for my body, for my bride. That's an advocate. We know that Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the advocate for each and every one of us. An advocate is like someone who goes to court and who advocates on your behalf. None of you have ever gone to court, but if you had, you would know what a good attorney can do for you, right? And so, so here, this is who Jesus is. He's an advocate, but Satan is an accuser. Satan is there to accuse you, to remind you, to re help you remember what you have done. And so the third thing, I'm just going to leave that right there. The third thing, so there's this ministry of accusation that comes from Satan. Maybe the ministry of accusation is what got him. I don't know. But the third way, or the third possibility, would be that Peter killed them. That his prophetic words were so power, powerful, they died. But what I've read about Peter's words were simply this. Uh, you know, if you know anything about Peter, as a matter of fact, F.F. Bruce um, writes on the life of Paul, has some writings with Peter, uh, and, and I, I pulled some stuff from F.F. Bruce from his, and, and also from the NIV commentary just to show you how this kind of unpacks. But when you really study Peter or Paul or any of these guys, uh, what you'll find out, like, like Peter healed a man by the gate, so he gave him life. If you remember, Peter raised a woman named Dorcas at Joppa from the dead. I mean, he was a powerful, powerful man of God. He was a life giver, not a life taker. Now, Paul, on the other hand, yes, Paul, uh, I mean, he was involved in Stephen's stonings. Uh, he persecuted Christians. There's no doubt, but eventually, of course, he became a life giver because he was a Christ follower. Very important here. So Peter merely had an honest conversation with this couple. He didn't judge them or kill them. He had an honest conversation. What is this that you have done? Why would you lie? Not only lie, but why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why would you keep back some of this for yourself when everyone else is selling what they have and bringing all they have before the Lord? Why did you try to hide this? Have you ever been confronted by someone and you felt like falling at their feet? Maybe there have been times where someone's confronted you, confronted you of a sin that you've done and, and, and what has that done? It's, it's caused you to weep, maybe caused you to cry. Maybe, maybe they said, hey, do you know that you've done this to me seven, eight, ten times now? And, and you feel this guilt, you feel this shame, and from that guilt and shame you want to repent. It brings you to a place of repentance. See, exposure, conviction, guilt, this was the result of her belief. This was the result of their belief 
in what they had done. See, self-judgment is suicide. So F.F. Bruce kind of unpacks this this way. He says, the conviction of the complicity in this guilt together with a rough and ready announcement of her husband's death proved too much for Sapphira. So in other words, shame, when it overtook them, it took their lives because they listened to the voice of the accuser. Like I said, you don't have to agree with this possible scenario, but self-judgment is suicidal. You'll notice that nowhere in this story does God judge them or kill them. It doesn't say that. The devil didn't even kill them. He was accusing them. So they allowed room for the accuser in the heart. When the accuser came in, he said, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. Then they heard Peter's words reinforced to some degree. He's just simply stating the fact they listened to their heart. And as a result, they died at Peter's feet. Ananias and Sapphira died from their own beliefs about themselves, possibly. Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, what? So he is. As a man thinks in his heart, and I quoted Proverbs 4 a while ago, that you've got to protect your heart. Proverbs 23 says, As a man thinks in his heart. Well, when your thinker becomes the accuser, you're in trouble. You're standing in judgment. Now, let me say a couple of things. I, I said this the other day in my message, in my sermon, and I want to repeat it today because I believe this was a word from the Lord. I was driving home, listening to the radio one day, and uh, this just came to me. But we make judgment on very limited information. As a matter of fact, what I'm learning is those who have the most limited information become the greatest judges. Watch your social media. That's what social media has taught me. A lot of people are making judgments based upon very limited information. If you want me to twist this even tighter, I can, I can tell you that uh, uh, listening to Donald Trump today, it's tough for me. I love what he's doing for the economy. I do believe he's putting America first, but I do think his mouth is a trap to say, to say the least. But if you go back, and, and, and you, you watch interviews that were done with him 20 years ago. That man was unbelievably sharp. I mean, unreal. He tended to watch his words a little bit better. Now, I'm not here to support a political bias. I'm simply here to state, hey, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll make judgments about ourselves, make judgments about others with very limited information. I could, say, I could say the same for Obama. I, I think he got wrapped up in, in some of this uh, racial tension and then used it for his advantage. But that's somewhat limited information. It's probably not who he always was. But you see, somewhere I hopefully sparked something. Everyone's listening now, right? But here's the truth. The truth is, is that we need to have as much information as we can and then just inspect the fruits. Now, even with our own lives, the information that we have oftentimes is very limited. The scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. That means that he placed a value on our lives far greater than many of us put on it today. It means that he took all the information and we take limited information. Ananias and Sapphira did a great thing that day. They sold all their land and they gave the majority of the proceeds to the church. 
they didn't give all of it. But how many of us have sold all of our land and given 100% of everything we own to the church? Right, I don't see a hand one. Okay, how many of you given half your land? You don't have to raise your hands, but man, you get what I'm saying here. I mean, what they had done, was that really worthy of death? But there was self-judgment. There was self-condemnation. There was Satan who entered their heart who basically told them you are guilty and you are guilty and if you walk around with a guilty verdict man long enough you believe that you are guilty and that you are unworthy the reason suicide happens is because men or women believe what they're guilty they can't live up to the measure they can't make the standard and they can't see themselves being held in value the way that Jesus still holds them in value. Jesus, regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of the lies that you've told, still places the highest regard and value on your life. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk around arrogant. As a matter of fact, it should mean that we walk humbly with our Lord because it's what He's done. It's the value that he's placed on us. If you are frustrated today with your life, if you feel like, <laughs> as Solomon says, if you feel like you're, you're worthless because you're a dog that's returning to its own vomit, those are terrible words to use in the morning after you ate donuts. But if that's you, men, this morning, be careful because that can make a shift to self-judgment and then you are no longer a life-giver because you don't have life in you and jesus wants us to hold one another in a valuable way but he also wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves there has to be a love there has to be a confidence gained in who we are in christ and if it's not there we'll fall to self-judgment i i know that most of us sometimes you ever just get frustrated because you can't find your keys or get frustrated because you locked yourself out of the house or get frustrated you know just little simple things and you go man i'm just a knucklehead you probably use different words, right? This is a men's group, but I'm still not going to drop some words that you can get it, right? But we call ourselves these things. We declare these, these things over our lives, and that's a judgment call. And that's listening to the accuser. Jesus is not the accuser. He is the acquitter. And there is a huge difference, men. 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is there are a lot of things to condemn the church at Corinth for. This was a corrupt church. It's interesting to me that the church at Corinthians, oftentimes uh, we use it to set the standard for spiritual gifts. <laughs> and he's correcting this church, by the way, men. Just a heads up as you study this. So he's, he's in correction. But he's saying this is what you have to do. You have to remember what Jesus has done for you so that you'll hold yourself and one another in a valuable way. Otherwise, we stand at risk 
to listen to the accuser, self-condemnation, guilt and shame, and eventually that leads us to a place of judging ourselves, the very creation of God. You may have messed up in life. We all have. You may think this is not the point that I've attempted or planned to be at this stage in my life. I get it, men. I can empathize and I can sympathize with you there. That may be you this morning. However, careful with those thoughts. How are we renewed? The scripture tells us in Romans 12, we're, we have to renew our minds, right? We are renewed every day by renewing our minds. We have to go back and say, no, I'm going to listen to the acquitter instead of the accuser. That's who I'm listening to. He goes on to say in verse 20, 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And by, through proclaiming the Lord's death, what he's saying is that Christ died for you. The last ounce of Jesus' blood was shed for you so that you would not walk in condemnation. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, watch this, in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, where is he going? Is he saying, hey, there's something spiritual happening? Yes. But let me also tell you about the church at Corinth. There were some guys showing up early uh, to take communion, so to speak. They were actually showing up at this church and they were drinking all the communion ju juice and they were eating all the bread. That's a true story. Okay, and so Paul's having to address this church and saying, hey, it's not a throwdown party. You know, you don't go there and, and take the body of Christ in an unworthy manner. At the same time, he says, we'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Here's why. Because they eat or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. In other words, they don't see the cup of the Lord, what Jesus has done, or what they're doing as holy. As, as being a part of what God has done for their lives. So let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink the cup. So he talks about examining. And I'm just going to go through this very quickly and this is it. The Greek word for examination comes, uh, it's D-O-K-I-M-A-D-Z-O. Dokimazado. Or dokimat. It's the Greek word. It's too early in the morning. Just take my spelling. It means to examine, to test, to prove, to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine or not. It's similar to metals. When you look at metals, you have to see if the metal is genuine. So he's saying, hey, look, be genuine about yourself and about others and about the body and blood of Christ, what he has done for us. We are asked to find ourselves approved. It's not an internal audit to find fault with us. It's an internal audit to say, hey, you need to, what's not good, confess, and then walk your life out into life and not death. The goal is not to look inward and find what I'm disapproved about, if you will, look into your heart and find what brings you approval. And that is Jesus. Every one of you who have come to Christ for a, a, a new start, if you will, a, a rebirth, everyone there, you have to look for him because the accuser wants you to hear his voice over what Jesus is speaking to you. And what happens? We die. I mean, I, I, I don't know, I, you know, a person on death row it feels like there's, there's no hope. 
I, I watched a documentary here a while back about a guy on death row, and this is this is what he said. He said he said that uh, uh, it, it, it was interesting. He was placed on death row for a murder that he committed, and then he was uh, seven eight years um, still in death row, and he killed another inmate while he was on death row. And you know what he said in the interview? What ma- what does it matter? I'm dead anyway. What does it matter? See, life gives life. Death leads to death. See, unfortunately, legalism has forced us to look at ourselves and our works. And then we judge ourselves based upon our works, based upon our merit. And look, if it took merit to enter the kingdom of heaven, none of us would be there. None of us would be found worthy in. Self-judgment will lead to self-condemnation and self-condemnation eventually leads to death or ineffectiveness for the kingdom of God. I can say it that way. Now, I have these huge words here that say stop, stop, stop. So I put that in there because there is no way we're going to get through all of this this morning. So I'll pick up with the rest of it next week. But uh, this is a great start for us to talk about um, self-judgment, self-criticism, and the dangers thereof, and how it can lead us on over. Not necessarily where we take our lives, but where our lives are ineffective for the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he he gives that command to everyone. And that's hard to do when you're walking in self-judgment. When you're walking in guilt and shame, you want to hide. You don't want to expose. So it's very important that we pay attention to how we look at ourselves and what voices we're listening to. Jesus, I pray as we go through these questions now that you will lead us into all truth. In your name, amen.